welcome to the third episode of the Half Stack Data Science Podcast, a show about data science in the real world. So, Sean, what have you been up to since the last time we recorded? Thank you for asking. Well, I uh, spoke at a crap meetup, and that's not just me swearing. Uh, there's a, a meetup in London called Conversion Rate Optimization Analytics in Product, and somewhere in there you get CRAP. Um, and the organizer above um, approached me after a previous meetup that um, I gave a version of our one of our data science talks at. He, he was looking for a data scientist to give a, a data scientist's take on conversion optimization, which is essentially how people change websites and then measure those uh, changes to see if they led to more consumer conversion. And most people working in this field are working on high-volume consumer websites, right? And so they have a lot of access to traffic that allows them to do A-B testing. And um, I decided to you know, go along and fill my brief and say some contentious things about um, the practice of what they do and about experimenting and, and all kinds of you know, th things like that. I, I said that they were adherents of a, a data religion. Um, and it went down pretty well. I think there's some people who maybe didn't get it or thought I was taking it all too seriously. But a lot of people were really keen um, on what I had to say. And, so oh, thanks, thanks for saying some of those things. I try to say them, but because you're an outsider, you know, you know, you have more license to. And what the talk really boiled down to, the challenge that I made to them was like, okay, you've got this fantastic technology in A/B testing. How do you know you're A/B testing the right changes to 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 the website? So you know, a version of how do you know you're working on the right stuff? You might get statistically significant results for your A/B test of some change that you made. And maybe you change the way that people book hotels, or you change the color of a button, or the position of something. How do you know that that was the right thing to be working on um, in the beginning? That sounds a lot like what we said we would talk about on the next episode the last time. So we're somewhat consistent at yeah. the time. That's pretty good. It's, it's almost like we're doing these on purpose. Good. So yeah, today we want to talk about a big question, how we work on the right things. So this is something that the data science community, I think, has started to pick up. Mm. So we're past mm. the peak of the data science hype cycle, yeah. where, OK, now it's generally accepted that data science is a thing that people should be doing Yeah, yeah. And for it, many yeah. reasons. It might be successful or something worth doing and investigating there, yeah. And then so the, the latest hot take is like, well, why do some data science projects actually fail? Because people have had time now to go on that hype train, mm. do mm. something, uh, one or two years down the line, oh, that all that promise hasn't been delivered. So why why has why has this project failed? Yeah, and those those articles that have started coming out, sort of, usually at the end, try to say, well, you can increase the probability of success if you try and work on things that have more value, or they might sort of bemoan a, a basic version of that. You know, we haven't received, we haven't seen any return on data science um, uh, problem. And then guess that in the classic formulation of that, the way these articles often begin is, you know, some really cool and valuable predictive models are built by a team of several PhDs over several years, but they never get used by the business, and maybe the PhDs all get all get fired. And the reason offered is, um, well, the end users of or intended end users of those algorithms didn't understand or trust or or use them at all. Yeah. So that's interesting. Is that a lot of the focus of these articles, 
I mean, you, you'll get like a one or two liner at the end. It's like, you should probably work on the things that are valuable. Yeah. Which we want it's to dive true, a bit deeper. True statement. It's an absolutely yeah. true yeah. statement, but we don't want to end it there. Obviously, we want to talk a bit more about it. But so why is it that people talk about, uh, the main problem that they talk about is this thing where a model is deployed, but it's never used because people don't understand it. That seems to be a very common reason that people cite for these PhDs going away for mm. a year and working on something. Uh, that that I, that whole thing failing. So what, why do you think that is? I mean, I think the the easiest explanation for um, focusing on a particular explanation for a problem is that you think you have something you can do about about that problem. And so I think maybe people talk about that kind of um, caricature of the PhD team that never generated business impact because we think as data scientists we can use our own tools and methods to fix that. Um, so you know. If the problem there was unexplainable AI or you know the the downstream users in the business couldn't use that cool algorithm, all we need to we just use an explainable AI library um, and then we can explain to those business users um, how the algorithm works and it, everything's mm. solved. That's a good point. So sometimes that can just devolve into a the sort of trade-off between interpretability and accuracy. and mm. then that's a kind of it's a slightly different different problem. It's like, okay, all you have to do is if, Accuracy is too high and interpretability is too low. Just do linear regression, which is interpretable but less accurate, and there you've made that trade-off, right. and therefore, Twiddles therefore you solved that problem. But yeah, that that's not really the dial that we think is is one of the crucial ones. Like we don't think that uh, just dialing your complexity down to linear regression solves the real problem of why why data science fails to uh, deliver value sometimes. Yeah. So you know, kind of, I think. In our opinion, for people like us who work in enterprise context, we're probably not going to have the problem that the reason that our predictive algorithm wasn't used was that it was an unexplainable black box AI, and it it's may even be good. may even be more likely to be used. The less explainable is. We don't we don't you know know that, but often you know that obsession of data scientists as technical people to examine this problem of low value out of data science that that obsession of focusing on the technical reasons for that. Is, is natural, but it misses what we would consider in an enterprise context some of the real constraints, which actually come from elsewhere. Mm. And you can't just um, be a smarter data scientist around those kinds of problems. Because we don't control those constraints. Yeah, yeah. So we, we control the constraint of how interpretable our model is. Yes. So we, we choose our model. We control the model choice, yeah. but we don't control some of the other constraints that come from the fact that you're embedded in an enterprise where things happen in a certain way, um, and and that's that's the real uh, barrier to yeah. working on the right problem. And the right levers that you have problem. to use are not this little lever about how much do we trade off some accuracy for interpretability. So I think today what we want to talk, uh, you know, listeners through is how to identify some of these constraints that come from outside the whole data science process um, as it's usually described and offer some hopefully constructive suggestions of what you can do to assess how those constraints that you don't have control over are going to um, change the value of projects that you might uh, embark on. Mm. So it might be helpful to like do a little recap of what we talked about last time because we started with the idea that companies start um, not using data at all and mm -hmm. want to become data driven mm -hmm. and we've like gone beyond the idea that you can just throw money at smart people and it will just happen overnight. Yeah. Uh, and so you outlined 
this thing that you developed called the insight journey, which might be, might be useful for you to just recap that. What is the insight journey and where are we now today? The, what we, I mean, what we're talking about, yeah, where is right. that on the insight journey? Yeah, so that insight journey just dis describes how organizations use data to make decisions. And so as you just alluded to, if organizations are just not really using data to make decisions, then they're making decisions based on instinct. Um, after that, up, a step up that insight journey ladder, if you like, is uh, intuition. Um, so if intuition is driving decisions, you know, that's using a bit more data that's accumulated about the past and you know, noticing some patterns. After that, the next step up the journey is, you know, we call it intelligence, and that's where more data is being used, and it's being used quite well to give decision makers solid insight into what's happening in their business, but a lot of organizations get stuck there uh, halfway through the, the insight journey, and they never make it to the final two steps, um, which you know I called prediction and optimization. Why is that? I guess a really common cause, and one that people blame, again, an easy thing to blame for, not, for never getting to prediction optimization is, well, maybe the data scientists got sidetracked and had to work on business intelligence problems, so maybe it was so hard to get the data science, uh, to get the organization from uh, instinct to intuition to intelligence that, you know, the solution, the business intelligence solution maybe depended entirely on the data science team and so they never had time mm. to um, think about how we're going to push the organization further into, into prediction and then into optimization. Right. I think the way you put it last time was that if you're standing on intelligence looking down or like trying to pull people up from Mm. from instinct and, and uh, intuition, then it's also hard to be facing the other way and trying to push it forward. So you're overstretched as a data science team if what you're trying to do is fix business intelligence in the company, fix the idea that we need to know how many things we sold yesterday, yeah. and at the same time figure out how to optimize things in the business or make good predictions to, to help better decisions. That's, that's too much, too wide a remit for a data science team. Yeah, for, well, for any single team in data science team in particular so, so I think I, if I think in a startup sorry in a startup when you hire a single data scientist yes. that's the person that's going to have this problem the most and yep. that's the business that is likely to have this problem the most because they they don't have a data person and the first data person they hire is someone who is like typically doing the prediction part of the insight journey then yep. then they also have to pick up the slack of the other levels which which is going to be too much yeah people are going to ask them where do these predictions come from and then you're going to have to describe some historical data and then People are going to say, oh, okay, I like your prediction thing. We should do that later. But in the meantime, can you do some reports uh, for me and yeah. then get stuck? So I think if your organization is stuck there um, and your data science team is just all focused on reporting, then you know the rest of what we say may not be super useful for you yet. I think yeah. you, if, if you're a, a data science practitioner or leader in a team that really feels stuck, at that intelligence stage and can't make the step to prediction. Like there's a wider problem to be solved there that we've you know talked yeah. about in the previous podcast. But you know, let's assume I guess for the rest of this discussion that the um, you know because we're trying to go beyond the easy things to blame for yes. why data science isn't <laughs> generating value. And um, so you know even if you uh, avoid having your data scientists work on business intelligence, you know maybe business intelligence is a separate team. That's only half the battle, and so we can't complain about that as the reason, as the thing that's stopping us from doing prediction. Yeah, so now we're not bogged down yeah. doing somebody else's job at the same time. And so then, okay, you've been released from the shackles of, oh, I need to do two jobs. Okay, 
then then what are the problems? So like maybe you just need more time, right? Maybe what you want to do as a data science team is go away for six months, lock yourself in a dark room mm. with a with a whiteboard. It can't be that dark. You have to see the whiteboard. Yeah. yeah. Yes. You're fluorescent. A well calibrated. Yeah. Dimly lit. Yeah. Dimly. Yeah. <laughs> dimly lit. The idea is deep thinking in a dimly lit room uh, over a long time, and you know. The, Solving these prediction problems, particularly in a business that hasn't done that before, is going to be tricky, right? Yeah. It's going to take a lot of thinking and 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 time to do it. But probably you're getting the sense uh, that that alone is not going to get you into prediction and optimization. Yeah, because here here we're assuming that when we complain about not having a business intelligence team and instead we want to work on the things that matter, we have a good idea of what the business um, or what would matter to the business, mm. right? Like if we were given the time, we would work on A, B, C, D. Yeah. So we know that ahead of time. So we're, we're not talking about the challenge of even figuring that out because that's kind of that's kind of yeah. there, right? We we sort of know what we would wa want to work on. Um, so we what we really have is a bunch of seemingly valuable projects. Yep. Valuable in the traditional sense, which we'll mm. talk about in a second, I guess. But um, so we have a bunch of valuable projects. The, by some traditional sense, but we need to pick which one of those to start with. Mm. And it's not um, as simple as sorting it by the one that makes the most pounds. Right. Right? Yeah. So the, yeah, the value of these projects that you could be working on, assuming you've got a, a good list of them, it's not just the benefits minus the costs or the benefits divided by the costs. I think what we want to talk about for the rest of the podcast is this idea that those estimates... Of, of the value of what you could be working on in prediction and optimization, um, it needs to be tempered by some idea of feasibility. Mm. Um, so, you know, even things that could be really, really valuable, like have a really obvious ROI, might not actually be possible to implement. And I guess, how are we going to work out ahead of time what might be more or less um, feasible to implement. If we don't do that, we might go and do some great work on some valuable problems, but then never be able to um, implement it. Yeah, and so you turn around six months later and it turns out that nobody can use your, your model that you just built. Even if it's perfect and would really move the needle. If yeah, not because it makes bad predictions, yeah, yeah. but because of other things. And so that's, um, I think that's one reason that maybe in the future we'll see a stream of business analysts becoming data scientists. Yep. So people from like not not necessarily a technical background. Yeah, but at the moment, who's migrating into data science? Yeah. Developers, uh, business intelligence, other kinds of data people. Yeah, or, or academic, you know, like yeah, PhD yeah. candidates, yeah. PhD um, students. But actually, to solve this problem of, regardless of the impact, what's the feasibility mm. of actually, you know, seeing that impact we need that. We need either to import those business analysts or as data scientists to use those business analyst skills of, yeah. you know, looking down the road, looking at the downstream impacts and um, of of the work we do, mm. and the capacity in the organisation to actually change its business process. Yeah. So if we assume, because we have to assume, right, that we can get some good predictive model, because that, yeah. that's that, that's completely up to us if we get a good predictive model. So we yeah, have yeah. to kind yeah. of assume that away at this point. Yeah. And then say, it's okay, all on us. Yeah. yeah, exactly. If we do that, then what else would need to happen for this to be a successful project? Because mm. that in itself is not success. Right. And on so a, us on getting a great, you know, mean average percentage error, yeah. well balanced between training and test, you know, 
doesn't mean that the value is delivered. That's just our internal technical bit that we've done, and that's great. That was our yeah. job, and we're the only ones that can do that. But that's really only part of the story. Because what we're really trying to do, right, is help people make better decisions. Yeah. And yeah. that doesn't mean that if, if we deploy, for example, a lot of like model deployment is typically, a, oh, you just click this thing and you get an API at the end of it. Right. Like a REST API. But the, the thing that's making the decision on the other side is not something that can consume a REST API. It's usually a person. Yeah. And so... Well, very infrequently is your, you know, is a data science team only making predictions for machines to consume. Yes. You know, um, yeah. I'm Especially sure in a non-data-driven business, it's, it's yeah. even less likely, right? The, so, yeah, most of the data work being done in the world is being done in enterprises, and still most of the decisions there are being made at that intelligence step, right, where mm. a human is looking at some kind of data to try mm. and make a better decision. It's nowhere near being automated. No, the decision-making process itself is still completely messy and human. Yeah, and so again, I think it's, it's easy for data scientists, being technical people, to say that, you know, this problem all just comes down to better model deployment into mm. that API. And if we can make that smoother, that everything, all models will be used. If mm. only they made it into a RESTful API. Yeah, but, if only the API was RESTful enough. Yeah, yeah, then it would be <laughs> consumed and everything. But actually, decisions are made by humans in, in a messy context. And how are you going to get that recommendation or prediction mm. from that? data science model in front of their eyes if all they ever use is spreadsheets. Yeah, and so how do you, because what you really want to do is change the decision-making process. Yeah. Change the business process that goes into that decision. And uh, as far as I know, I don't know, does the tidyverse have some sort of business changer library for that? Well, I could ask you if Python has a, you know, pi biz change library. <laughs> yeah, and, you I'm know, afraid not. You, Get your data, you do your modeling, you train some mo models, you choose the best one, you export it, and then you know you export it to a, I don't know what kind of object, and then you just put it, that into the business somewhere. Well, it somehow it. plugs into someone's brain and changes yeah. the way they behave. Jupyter, RStudio, they're not there yet. <laughs> they're, um, not, they're, they're not linked up to a... Tinfoil hat generator <laughs> that you know, changes the way people decide. So I think to make this a little bit real for, for people listening, We've got a sort of you know, case study that will probably sound familiar to a lot of people uh, from our own experience. And this is actually about a year ago when you had just joined the data science team. That's right. And the data science team itself was only six or seven months old and it had really just been me and almost one other people by then. You, you came over from a development team and we had a forecasting problem, really classic kind of forecasting problem from one of our sister businesses. And their business question that they needed to answer more accurately than they did currently at the time was, how many people will land on each dealer's, you know, this is, we're in automotive, so on each car dealer's web page. Yeah, yeah, car dealers. Day. Just... Um, car <laughs> dealers, yeah, in, yeah. Not, not say no to drugs. Um, so the, the, the problem was like a classic, you know, we've measured how many times this thing happened in the past. Um, it's important for us to forecast that accurately. How can we do that better? And so that was the input. That's the input to a, a decision. Yeah. Like at this point, it doesn't really matter what it is. The point is that like a decision is being made by a human based yep. on uh, some sort of guess of future dealer traffic on yep. the website. Yeah. Um, and the current process at the time was one person with a very complicated Excel spreadsheet, which was powered by some data cube extract. Yeah. Right. Once a week. Um, 
and then that person looked at the numbers in the spreadsheet and then made the decision accordingly. And they were sort of using some interpolation yeah, to so get there was a very, very a basic forecast of, of like, well, let's look at what's happened in the last few days, extrapolate that till the end of the month, and that's, that's what that's we think. That's our end of month That's our forecast. end of month forecast for clicks. But it was also being, you know, every line was being reviewed by the same human yes. in case something crazy happened. Yeah, you know, exactly. So that, so that, and then being manually edited. Yeah, so looking that, at, exist, at current, you know, current clicks versus forecasted clicks, and then that, that's the sort of basis for, for the decisions. And funnily enough, like, there is no RESTful API that can easily yeah. plug into that decision-making process. It's like, what, what do you do to change that process? Our, our problem is actually to get these predictions that our yeah. model makes, because what we want is to put those predictions that our model makes in front of the stakeholder as they're doing that whole decision-making process to see that the numbers we come up with yeah. are more sophisticated and more accurate. Because they're not a data scientist. They're not going to no. run Jupyter. No. Train the model, retrain the model, no, exactly. assess stuff. Then, then you know their spreadsheet doesn't consume a RESTful API, <laughs> no. and this is a common problem, right? There's lots of problems where the interface to your decision improvement machine, you know, which is what a better forecast model was. It's a, a machine that's trying to help someone improve their decision. The interface is not a computer; it's a decision maker who's currently getting the job done in some way, and so. You know, going back to the question about how feasibility changes the value you can deliver in data science, you need to be really careful about wandering into these projects. Mm. And that's actually something we kind of did, right? We, we wandered out there doing some cool data science stuff, mm. probably realized right on time all these constraints that we've just been talking about, that, okay, they explained their business problem to us really clearly, and it was obvious that they needed a better forecasting algorithm. Yeah. And it was like, well, we can totally do that because forecasting is bread and butter for data science. And they could put a value on it, right? They could actually yes. could have told us a number to say, like, yeah, if yeah. you do this for us, we can save X. Because missing the forecast was costing them, causing them a certain amount of pain and, and, and in the end of the day, time and money yeah. to, to correct. Exactly. So it was like, we can totally do forecasting. Yep. There's a huge impact if we get it right. Yep. But we're speaking from experience here in that we just didn't think immediately up front. We did think about it, I think, at just the right time, yes. not too late. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute, how the hell are we going to actually get these, even if these predictions were perfect, how are we going to get them into someone's handcrafted spreadsheet? Mm. Because we, we cannot click a button, publish an API, and now the insights are you know, generating that value. No, and the, the reason that works in a lot of cases, right, is if you have an existing website or web application that needs a better... I don't know, credit scoring algorithm mm. or something. So right? people are applying for loans or comparing. Yeah, so you yeah. already have the website infrastructure where that happens, yeah. and mm. the, the interface to a better prediction can just be a REST API call. So, and there are lots of use cases for this, right? Yeah. And it, well, it's, there have to be enough for people to develop tools that then have the one-click REST API deployment feature, and otherwise they wouldn't be done. For right? people to write articles about how you solve all of these problems <laughs> yeah, by just exactly. using a pu publish an API exactly. tool. But there is, but it's a lot harder to integrate into the person with spreadsheet process. Yeah. So uh, I mean, what were our options? Did we? Was it feasible to just try and hack an extra column into their manually created spreadsheet? Well, because we didn't control the creation of the spreadsheet, that was controlled right. by that business. So what we would have had to do, in theory, is figure out how that initial spreadsheet was generated exactly. Yeah. and recreate it ourselves so that we now controlled 
the spreadsheet or CSV that we could add an extra column to. This needs to be a spreadsheet because I think it had conditional formatting. So. Oh, it did. Sorry, yeah. you're right. So yeah. it has to be a spreadsheet. So we, we would have had to recreate an entire uh, complicated, colorful spreadsheet yeah. just to be able to put that extra column in ourselves. Otherwise, we didn't have control of it. Yeah. Right. And then the first, then the first hurdle there would have been like making the making sure they believe us that the spreadsheet we made is exact same one that they got before ah, that. So d are the formulas the same? Have we pulled pulled the data correctly yes. from the? Is it coming from the right from the orientation right cube, of the orientation cube? Orientation of the cube, yeah. <laughs> before they even look at the column that we put in there. Right. Right. So there would be a whole trust issue of like, okay, we've given you something that we claim is exactly what you have with an extra. But because we're doing it and you're not doing it, yes. then there has to be the whole, uh, the whole process of making sure that you're comfortable that this is the same spreadsheet. Yes. Right? It's like a magic trick when, is this really your card? So you have to go yeah, through yeah, that yeah. thing first before they even look at the column. And that, that obviously takes a lot of effort. And we don't want to deploy our models as a copy of a spreadsheet. That just didn't, It's not an efficient way to do it. It would take a lot of... of uh, back and forth before we, we get any... Well, maintaining it, right? It's and like, then maintaining now it. Now, if someone wants to change the spreadsheet we've produced, now we mm. would have needed to propagate that back into our magic spreadsheet generator. Yeah. And then, so what happened in that project in the, sh in, in the short term? Well, in the short term, we just did a bit of analysis to show that we can do it. But right. then we also had to talk to them about, like, we actually asked the question of, like, well, how do you think this would effectively go into production? And then it was then nobody was really clear on well I, I right. guess we'd have to move away from that spreadsheet thing and I think people might be scratching their heads listening to this right saying well that's just stupid why don't you just build a web app which right. is a replacement for the spreadsheet with as many You're bells so and backwards. whistles why don't you just you know just why are you talking about recreating a spreadsheet away. yeah yeah um, it's, it's clearly inefficient we we'll just give them a web app that has the same numbers same data source with the extra bells and whistles and you can add whatever features you want mm. on top of it and so what do you think like what, what, what do you think about that? Why couldn't we have just done that? Because we chose not to do that. As yeah, well. we chose not to do it. So I think to summarize, we, we did enough work to uh, prove that there was a potential return on improving the forecast. And we showed that you know, a relatively small investment could get better predictions. But what we learned was that it wasn't really feasible to pursue that value because the technical thing wasn't that difficult. The impact was potentially huge, but making the impact actually realized in the real world mm. in that spreadsheet was not going to be possible. And so it came down to like how much resistance to change did we want to take on as data science team? We're not a business change, business transformation, internal consultancy. Um, and it's really difficult and damaging to go to people and say, you're doing it wrong. Use our yeah, web you, app We build instead. this web app, throw away your spreadsheet from tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, if they're using the the spreadsheet to get the job done and they're getting it done to some satisfactory level, you're basically telling them to just take a massive jump into the unknown on the back mm. of something that you've just maybe developed in a bit of a vacuum. And even if you build something and they could look at their spreadsheet and this thing side by side, because they're not using prediction to, or because they already haven't got prediction built into their, yeah, their, yeah. their process, then they're already under a lot of pressure to yeah. do a lot of manual work with the yeah. spreadsheet to get yeah. the results delivered on time, right? And, and so the extra overhead of comparing these things side by side is probably also not feasible yeah. to, to even pilot. So we, we would have had to somehow overcome the hurdle or just convince them that they have to take the short-term hit for the long-term gain. Yeah. I think we all could have sort of 
collectively agreed that maybe that's not quite, we can't quite do that. Yeah, so we were sort of standing just on the edge of prediction, right, above them, firmly and really competently working at that intelligent step of the insight journey, but we didn't have the ability, given the current constraints at the time, to convince them to take that leap up. And I think that's true in the enterprise context. There's a huge amount of, you know, in the 90s people called them information workers. So people who aren't lifting things to make things work, but they're taking some information in, processing it in some way, some of it in their head, some on paper, some in spreadsheets, and then taking some actions or sending off things yeah. to be to have action taken on them as a result. And this was a classic example of that where the the process had got up to a level where it was good enough, but that actually stopped us from from stopped it from being feasible to improve that process much more. And so I think where we left it was like, well, if you guys are open in the future to sort of completely re-engineering that process, then we'd love to participate it from the ground up. Mm. But it's not the right thing for us to come into you guys, like getting the intelligence job done to say, oh, spend half of every day working with us to try and inject our predictions into your, mm. into your spreadsheet or give us feedback on this web app that we don't have the time to build anyway. Yeah, it wasn't feasible for us to help change that process. Yeah, as a, you know, three-person data science team. Yeah. We can't, you know, and this is true, I think, of a lot of data science teams. We probably want to change things about the parts of the business that we work in. But, um, and this is a particularly difficult case because we saw that we could solve it and that the impact would be huge, potentially. Yeah, but that wasn't the whole calculation. It was, yeah, we were missing a term from the rest of, from the equation. Which I think is our point today, is yeah. that everybody talks about value in terms of how much money this project makes. Mm. Everybody talks about it in terms of, like, can this even be done with the data that you have at hand? Yeah. So that you know, those are obviously really important. And at this point, we'd we'd considered them, and we'd had we had all of those in place. We thought we could get an ROI, a, yeah. a positive ROI in standard project accounting terms. We just missed that measure of feasibility yeah. of like, what is the downstream impact of how will this change someone's day-to-day decision-making process? Yeah. Because that is your product. Yes. Like your machine learning. Sorry. Data scientists. This is this might be really controversial. Maybe yeah. it's like a PG warning. That's why it's called half stack data science. Yeah, <laughs> you can discount everything we say by fifty percent. Yeah. You... So like your machine learning model is not the product. Even the API that you deploy <gasps> that plugs into your credit scoring website is not the product of your data science team. It's the changed Whoa. decisions. It's the the decisions that you are helping change and the business process that you're helping change, that is the thing that generates the value in the end. Mm. Uh, and so that is the product that we are delivering. The um, model, the, the API, however it gets into that change, those are just technical things and, and tools, right, to actually make the, the change that you're talking about. Yeah. So yeah, no better way to understand. And we didn't understand that until we had gone a, a certain way down. Um, that path, and then dis then discovered, ah, to change your business process would actually be quite complicated. And so, you know. So I think that was the point we're trying to make today, yeah. right? Is that um, how to work on the right stuff doesn't just mean like calculating the value or mm. or getting business intelligence off your plate as a thing to do, or even building a great predictive model or and, even and deploying a, it into an API, or even that. It's like, because you can get obsessed about the, as you said earlier, you alluded to like, you could spend a lot of time trying to improve the model deployment as if that was the last thing you could do. Yes. 
Yeah. So it's like, oh, well, that's, that's the end of our remit. So that's the last thing we could optimize before it goes out into the, the business. Yeah, there's the an idea in um, economics and econometrics of um, just came to mind of binding constraints to growth. So in any economy, you know, where there's a very simple model, labor, uh, capital, and, and land, right? If the real constraint to your economy is unavailability of, of capital, then messing with immigration policy or land reform is not going to have any effect. Mm. If the actual constraint to you doing better is, mm. is a lack of cap capital, mm. and it's the same thing here. It's like you could get a great business case. You could prove that it's technically possible. You could calculate and annualize the impact and say, you know, if we do this and it's used, everything's going to be fantastic. Mm. But if you don't ask the, ask the question of will it be used, that feasibility question, you know, you haven't solved for the right constraint. You've done some cool stuff and that will hopefully be useful, but you haven't actually set yourself up to make the, the impact. And the reason is because there's a deeper question yeah. than that, right? Which is, what is the decision that we're trying to support? So I guess, ideally, that's part of the business case for the, yeah. for the project. But you also want to know who makes the decision today and how do they make it? Yeah. And if that's not in your calculations of value up front, then that, that's, that's an avenue where you could fail at the end uh, without realizing if you don't look at the end of how did the decisions get made and yeah. how are they going to be made differently yes. once you've finished your project. And there's very few data science projects that are trying to influence decisions that are not already being made somehow. Right? Yes, you know, exactly. People well, always yeah. say, Greenfield data science. It's like, well, someone somewhere <laughs> is, is, is making that decision in some way. And until you surface to yourself the knowledge of how that decision is being made, you, you can't make that feasibility um, calculation at all. So I think next time we'll continue this a bit further mm. and we'll talk about another constraint to data science success. Which is just, always talking about what's you know, constraining us from success, David. Yeah, yeah. So everything, everything's just holding us back, man. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but there are, you know, there are lots of constraints to data science success, and it's not the case that just relieving all the constraints makes you successful. We'll also talk, I think, in the future about... Working within the constraints. Yeah, working within the constraints, what do you do to make yourself as successful as possible? But yeah, next time we want to talk about a constraint that's kind of at the other end of the workflow. So today's topic was everything worked absolutely fantastically, and then you didn't see realize any impact because it wasn't feasible to change the process you were mm -hmm. trying to, um, the decision process you were trying to influence. Next time, what we want to talk about is a constraint at the other end of the workflow, which is how to get the data in the first place. And in the meantime, uh, thanks for listening. Thank you.